This is a great place in Scripture. This is a place in Scripture that, is, uh, that takes time. I mentioned we're in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. For those of you that are visiting with us, thanks so much for coming. You come in, if this is your first time, you've jumped into a very, very deep place in the Word of God. Uh, Paul has been teaching all along in the book of Romans about faith, about faith in Jesus Christ. And he has been teaching us that we bring nothing to the table except faith. He, our Lord, supplies everything. He brings it all for us. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He has given us his mercy. He has given us his grace. He has given us everlasting life in, in response to our believing and trusting in him by faith. Well, Paul is now talking to the people in Rome who are Jews. The, the, the people who were, belong to the nation of Israel. And they have felt that, 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 that they were in a place that they could be, um, they could rely upon their heritage. They could rely upon their background making them right before God. And Paul is saying, no, no, you also must come as everyone comes through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. He taught them that their circumcision was meaningless. He taught them that, that, um, that, that, that all they had to offer was their faith and trust in Christ. So last week, let me just fold back just a little bit for us. We saw that Paul reminded Israel and all of us who read the Word of God of verse 6 in chapter 9. He says, it is not as though the Word of God has failed. In other words, your reliance upon the nation of Israel, your reliance upon your traditions are not going to save you. And it's not as though the Word of God has failed you. You see, God promised Israel throughout the Old Testament. But I picked out a really, just a, just a nugget. It's in Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, the 42nd verse. He reminded Israel the promises that they would go through trials as well as blessings. Listen to Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 42. It says, just, God speaking, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. And we cross-reference that for us today out of the book of Hebrews. We are told that each of us who love and follow the Lord will experience trials as well as blessings. And there is a a lack of, of, of integrity, may I say, and I mean no disrespect, but a lack of integrity from, from the pulpit, some that, that will not teach the full counsel of the Word of God. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, we learned last week in verse 6, we learned it says that our Lord disciplines and scourges every one of us He receives. We were told in that same chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, that our Lord disciplines us for our good so that we might share in His holiness. And then the next verse, verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12 says, you know, it's like one of those statements, duh. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yes, of course. But it says... 
to those who have been trained by it, trained through the trials that we go through, afterwards it will produce or will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is a great promise of blessings to receive the righteousness of Christ, to be conformed into the image of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so God being just and God's righteous character does not allow for the possibility of His failing in any of His promises. And so the problem that Paul was having with with the Jewish people in Rome was that They felt that that the rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah just gave doubt upon whether he was truly the Messiah or not. When in fact, Paul was saying, no, no, your rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah just proves that you do not believe God. And that's his point. Their rejection did not stop God's promises. It simply gave further evidence that His promises will be given to those who trust and believe in Him. Now, I want to read to you out of this place in Scripture and pray with you before I get any further along. I want to read from verse 6 to verse 18, if you don't mind. Now, this, some of this place in Scripture is can be considered difficult. I'm telling you it's not. The difficulty comes when when we think we're God and He's not. That's when the difficulty takes place. When we try to take His place of, of being just and caring for us, thinking that we can do a better job than He is doing or is in the process of doing within our lives or within anyone's life. And so... This place in Scripture has a verse that... Well, let me read it to you first before we read the whole thing. Look at verse 13. God is speaking. It is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau hated. Some people have trouble with that. He makes this statement before they're born. What does he mean by that? First and foremost, the word hated there means not to find favor with. God does not hate like humans hate. It just simply means he did not find favor with Esau. God being God made a decision between the two boys. And I'm going to show you at the end of the service why he chose Jacob to love over Esau, which it says he did not find favor with, which he, it says, hated. Why? It's so simple. Let's read. This is one great place. This is like the Super Bowl. This is any preacher would love to be here because this is, this is stuff that's really, really needs to be taught and needs to be learned and needs to be, and be embraced. Verse 6 through verse 18. Paul writes, But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. He says, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Excuse me. That's what he's, he's teaching them. 
Just because you were born in the nation Israel doesn't mean that you're a part of the descendants of God. Being born in the flesh does not give you the merit. Sorry, I jumped in there on that. I don't normally do that. Let's go back to verse 9 now. For this is a word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son, namely Isaac. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet, yet done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Here's an issue. Let's stop again for just a moment. The question was running through Rome. That doesn't sound fair. Is God fair? Is he judging Esau over Jacob? He hasn't even seen them yet. They've not been born. And Paul asks the normal question. Verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he has desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Now, you can wrestle with this all you want, but the fact of the matter is, God's God and you're not, and I'm not. And he is in control of all things. What we've got to conclude is, is he love us? Is he just? Is he fair? Or does he just haphazardly say, ah, this guy I love, you not so much. <laughs> no. He died for everyone. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. And so this is, a, this is like Super Bowl Sunday. This is a great place in Scripture because some can get hung up on it and wonder, what does it mean? In fact, I'm going to tell you this later. Let me tell you it now because it's, it's a charming little story. Dr. McGee writes it in his commentary. It's about a student, a seminary student. He's going to, to school and he's in this seminary and he goes to his professor and he says to him, Sir, I'm having trouble with this place in Scripture. And he says, Where? He says in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 14. Is it 14 or 13? It's uh, verse 13. I'm having trouble with this. It says in there, Esau I've hated. He says, I am having trouble with it saying that God hated Esau. And the professor says, I'm with you, son. I'm having trouble with that place in Scripture too, except mine is a little different than yours. My problem is I can't understand why God loved Jacob. <laughs> yeah, good. The other first service, they didn't even laugh. Way to go. <laughs> I felt a little embarrassed up here. I told that story, and they just sat there and looked at me, and I'm thinking, 
Hello? No, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the issue. You got it. You got it. The issue is not so much who does God find favor with. Why does He find favor with any of us? He loves us. And so that's the issue that Paul is, is trying to present to the people, namely the, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Jews in Rome. Because he doesn't want them to get hung up on the whole issue of their traditions and their, um, the, what they, what they, who, who they're born into and what nation they belong to. But rather, he wants us all to come the same way, and that is through faith. And that's where he's, that's where he's getting at. And this is going to be so explainable. You'll see. You really will see. So let's pray so that you, uh, I'll get out of this way of this and, and we'll let the Lord te- teach us. Please, Father, do that. Um, move me aside. Uh, it's not necessary, Father, that, that a human person needs to try to, to say the things of God. Would you open up our eyes? Would you open up our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And would you, Father, teach us, each of us individually, there are different people here who have different needs. Some of these people here totally understand this place in Scripture, and, and it's, it's not something that needs to be desperately explained. And other, others of us want to hear, what does this mean uh, that Esau I've hated and, and Jacob I have loved, wrestled with it all week, wondering what does that mean? And so, Father, only you can do that. Only you can take this place in Scripture and, and teach each of us individually. And so I pray that you'll do that. Just move me aside. I beg of you, Father. I beg of you. And I thank you for the Chandlers being here. I just love them so much that they would come and be here. And, and Lord, thank you for others that are here. It's great to be able to, to see friends in our congregation. And uh, uh, just very, very pleased with that, Father. So bless this time. And, and thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I jumped all over the place, didn't I? I'm sorry about that. Okay, Paul tells the people in Rome this truth. Um, I'm going to share it from two different places. One place just impacted my life when I first came to Christ, actually while I was still investigating. It's about the promises of God. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, Paul writes these words, saying, If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's offspring. You are then heirs according to the promise. So the issue here is all about the promise. The promise that came through Abraham and Sarah. Not Abraham and uh, um, Hagar, who was Sarah's handmaid, who gave birth to Ishmael. No, He came and gave the promise to Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. And then through Isaac, he married Rebekah. They had twins, Esau and Jacob. And the promise of God came through Jacob, not Esau. Why? Well, that's God's decision. And so it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are an offspring of Abraham. You are an heir according to the promise. The promise is the coming Messiah. Now, talking about where you're born, there was a verse in Scripture that I was told to read when I first was examining faith. And I was told by the guy that was trying to lead me to Christ to read John, the book of John. 
And I was reading the first chapter, and in the first chapter, in the 12th verse, it says, As many as received him, talking about Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, in the name of Christ. I went to the guy and said, I told you I was a Christian. He said, what do you mean you told me you were a Christian? I said, I told you I was a Christian. I was a born in the United States American Christian. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Christian. He says, are you a Christian? Born in the United States. He said, wow, that's pretty lucky you weren't born in a garage. That'd make you a car, wouldn't it? <laughs> the fact of the matter is most people believe where they are born, what they are born into, or what church they go to makes them a believer, a Christian. No, the next verse is tantamount to understand in John chapter 1. After it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And then he says in verse 13, Who were born, get this now, born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Born of God. The great obstacle for the Jewish people at and really all of mankind, is a failure to understand the true meaning of faith. The true understanding of what God has promised to us as believers through faith and grace. God's unmerited favor that He pours out upon us. We have a tendency to treat God as though He isn't God and that we are. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The Word is made crystal clear here in the ninth chapter, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, we studied last week. Only Isaac was the elected son of Abraham and Sarah, and only Isaac was to be named the physical heir of the promise of God. But listen, please. It is not Abraham's promise that we must cling to. It is the promise that God has given us through Abraham that counts. It is always God in His Word. It is what God has to say. It is God's promise, not Abraham's. He made, God did, made the promise through Abraham, through Sarah, through Isaac, through Rebekah, and then ultimately through one of the twins named Jacob, but it was God's promise, not theirs. So it says in verses 11, 12, and 13, Look, verse 11, for though the twins were not yet born, this could make some stumble, they hadn't done anything good, nor have they done anything bad. They had done nothing but so that the, the promise of God, God's purpose, according to His choice would stand. It's not because of works. That's what Paul has been teaching throughout the first eight chapters. Works is nothing. It's all about faith. It's not because of works, but because of Him who calls, Him who purposes. Look at verse 12. Therefore it was said to her, meaning Rebekah, your oldest, Esau, is going to serve the youngest, Jacob, because it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Oh, don't listen to hate. Listen to not bestowed favor upon him. Not bestowed favor. It hasn't to do like love and hate like we love and hate, you know. It's not that way. 
Paul further qualifies this statement explaining in verse 11, it's not because of anything that either one of them did. It's not works. It is the promise that rests upon them. And the promise comes from God's call upon the life of Jacob instead of Esau. Now, here's where some have a rub. The calling in verses 11 and 12 has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with the will and the purpose of God. The will and the purpose of God. Really, you ought to remember, if you can, if you want to put anything to memory, you might want to put to memory Romans 8, 28. We know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and, here it is, to those who are called according to His purpose. At the end of this message, I'm going to tell you what your calling is and what is your purpose in life. I'm going to hold that over you, just so you'll stay for 15 more minutes. <laughs> the choice between Jacob and Esau has nothing to do with their actual doing good or their actually doing anything evil. No, it has to do with the purpose of God, His sovereign good pleasure, His sovereign will, which eventually fulfills His purpose in all things. Never forget, it is God who is God and we are not. I mean, that's, that's perhaps one of the most important things you can remember walking out of here. And most importantly, you can remember this, that He has your best in mind. He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever of us would believe in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He loves you and me. Romans 8.28 will forever hold true. We know that God will cause all things to work together for good to those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to His purpose, not ours. By the way, God always, always, always raises up at the right time those whom He has called. My favorite, one of my favorite places in Scripture in the Old Testament has to do with a very beautiful young lady by the name of Esther. She, she had to be just gorgeous. Uh, says she was pretty. But pretty is as pretty sees. I made a test on this because this week I was studying this and uh, Esther was very beautiful. In the king's eyes, he chose her to be his queen. I asked Kay, my wife, am I good looking? <laughs> I mean, we got mirrors in our house. I already know the answer. It's a resounding no. And she said, without blinking, without hesitating, yeah. She did, I swear. She said, yeah, you're good looking. I said, you're crazy. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Esther, I want to look at her in heaven. I've I, I got to believe Esther is really something. She's hot. And she's pretty. The Jews were going to be wiped out in, in their community. Esther had become queen and her uncle, Mordecai, sent word to her, saying, Esther, your people, our people, are about to be wiped out. And then he says in Esther, the fourth chapter, the 14th verse, 
Let me quote it to you correctly. I, I think I know it by heart, but I, I may make sure I say it correctly. He says to her, Give word to Esther and say to her, Who knows, Esther, whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, you're not up there just because you're beautiful. You're up there because God placed you there to save the people of Israel. She gave word back to her uncle Mordecai, said word to him and said, we will fast and um, I will go before the king. It's a great story. Someday we'll do a study on Esther. We ought to study the book of Esther. It is a great story because for her to go to the king without his asking her into his presence, she could have been killed that quickly. But um, she did and she saved the, the nation of Israel. Who knows why you and I know the Lord today? Maybe God has something remarkable. What if that kid Anthony there up at the lake, wherever they were, what if that kid becomes the next Billy Graham? God had that in store. God had chosen that young boy for that long ago. But he used Anthony, our Anthony, and the young people of our church to impact that young boy's life. How about the Son of God? In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, Paul writes, When the fullness of time came... God's fullness of time, in other words, God's timing, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. He, God, chose the perfect time for Jesus Christ to be born. It wasn't an accident, just as it wasn't an accident in Esther's life. So, instead of allowing the twins to be equal heirs of Isaac's, the Lord sovereignly, sovereignly stepped in and chose Jacob, the youngest, over Esau, the oldest. Why? It says in verses 11, 12, and 13, neither of them were born yet. Neither of them had done anything either good or bad. They were chosen, Jacob was, in order that God's purpose, God's plan might be fulfilled not because of anything they have done, but because of Him who calls. Why do, you, why do you take breath today? God's got something special for you. I'm, I'm, I'm shouting at you that He does. I don't know what it is. I mean, I did a study once on, uh, on people who came to Christ, on this long line of people that came to Christ from, I forget now, it's been so long ago. But in that line was Billy Graham and, and someone else. But in that line was one was a, a guy. I'm sorry, I don't remember it all. This is terrible. That's not off my notes. But a guy was like, a, I think, a shoe salesman or something. And he led another person to Christ. And on and on and on and on until it hit Billy Graham. And then thousands of people came to Christ. Um, who knows what God has in store for you, who you might come in contact with. The other day, uh, this was maybe months ago now, I was at a restaurant with a friend and we were just talking about things of our church and kind of going over some stuff and, and minding my own business, just having breakfast and some guy comes wheeling over in a wheelchair. Boy, he comes vroom, over and vroom, to the wheelie and kind of stopped in front of us. And he said, Pastor John, I haven't seen you in a long time. I said, I've forgotten your name. He told me his name. And I said, How you been? He said, great. He says, I want to tell you something. You changed my life. 
I said to him, uh, with all due respect, I had nothing to do with it. I said, the Lord did, but I'm glad you thought that I had a part. How many people have come up to you and say, you know, you've changed my life? Look, I didn't even know I did anything. I, do, I, don't, I don't know what I did in that gentleman's life. We are to be a light into this world in which we live. God chose you for a purpose, a reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just know that he did. God did not choose both sons to continue the physical line of promise. He did choose Jacob, though. And he did it so that his purpose in life might stand. Romans 8.28, I'm going to say it to you for the third time. God causes all things to work together for good to those of us who love him, to those of us who are called according to his purpose. Believe it or not, your life, my life, our life will become much, much easier, may I use that word, when we ultimately treat God and trust God with all of our hearts. The, 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 the disciples asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, oh, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's in Matthew 22, and it's also a quote out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so the Lord says, way back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, to Rebekah, he said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb. Two people will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older one is going to serve the younger. Why? The entire choice rests upon the purpose and call of God. But unlike what most might teach, the calling of verse 13, again, is not to salvation. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have not found favor with. Why? This is a quote that comes out of the last book of the Bible, by the way, the Old Testament. Old Testament, the Bible. Uh, Malachi, chapter 1. The statement was made two, about 2,000 years after the boys have lived their lives. Two nations have now come out from them. And history has already been made through the line of Esau and the line of Jacob. It's easy to see why God rejected Esau, by the way, after you look back on it. Esau turned out to be godless, turned out to be filled with pride. Out of his loins in the nation that came from Esau were people who lived without God for the most part. Not all, but for the most part. And most turned their backs on God. But why did he choose Jacob? Jacob didn't have a great heritage either. You see, the choice had nothing to do with actual good or potential evil. The choice had to do with God's purpose in their lives. I'm, I'm not going to go on that rabbit trail. I've got to finish. When Scripture speaks of God hating, it's, it, it means that he didn't bestow favor it doesn't mean that he hates like you and I or people might hate. But this raises a question, does it not? And that's what they asked in verse 14. Does God favor one person above another? No, the answer is no, absolutely not. As, as Paul says in verse 14, what shall we say? 
there is no injustice with God. He didn't just haphazardly choose Jacob over Esau. May that never be, he said. Esau's life and the life of his descendants gives clear evidence. They rejected God long after this prediction was made. Yet, you study through the book of Genesis all you want, and it mentions no divine hatred of Esau. God didn't hate him in that fashion. He just found favor with Jacob. Jacob, by the way, his descendants were also rebellious, also idolatrous. Here's the hinge. Here's where where it changes. Out of the loins of Jacob's nation came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's why God favored Jacob and not Esau. Because all of us are wretched, all of us are sinners, but out of the line of Jacob Jacob came the Messiah. Therefore, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, not so much. See, Paul had already established the necessity, the absolute necessity of faith. Faith in true salvation. He called Abraham the earthly forefather of all who trust in Christ. We have a couple, two more minutes. Let me turn you back to Romans chapter 4, just for a brief moment. I just want to read some, just refresh your memory. We studied this months, weeks ago now. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, it's something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say, it says in verse 3? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Look at verse 11. Jump, Jump ahead. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, faith, which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all, who believe salvation is given through faith, through God's grace and God's mercy. And therefore, since you have been given salvation by God, by faith, your faith, what's your purpose for living? Why are you alive? Are you still in Romans chapter 9? Don't close your Bible yet. Why are you alive? I'll tell you, it's simple. It's the same for every single one of us. We live to take breath to give God glory in and through our lives. But you can do that, whatever you do, do your, do your work heartily as unto the Lord, serving the Lord. It, it can be, we can be, um, I don't know, whatever jobs are out there. I can give God glory preaching, and I could give God no glory preaching, depending upon my heart. And you can give God glory in what you do, and or you cannot give Him glory in what you do, depending upon your heart and your purpose. Look at verse 17. It's, it's directed at the Pharaoh, but it's really for all of us. In verse 17 of chapter 9, it says, Scripture said to Pharaoh, but I would say it's, this is said to everyone who ever takes a breath. God says, for this very, very purpose, I raised you up. And you can put your name there if you want so as to demonstrate my power in you, 
so that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. I believe that's why you and I live. To serve the Lord God. He has given you favor because you, once you've come to Christ, if you're not a Christian here today, we would love for you to come to Christ. Um, you don't have to jump through hoops. There's not a lot of things you've got to do. Just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, come into your heart, make you the type of person he created, He's created you to be, and we'll try to help you grow in your faith. And you can help us grow in ours. And the moment you come to Christ, the purpose of your life is to glorify God in and through your existence. And I don't even know what that means, and, and, and neither do you. God has something so special for you out there. He is God. You're not. I know that God will work everything together for good to those of us who love Him and to those of us who are called according to whatever purpose He has for you and me today. I don't know what that is. He does. This is, such a, this is such a great place in Scripture. It is so mis, misunderstood. It's not about salvation. It's about God and His call upon your life and my life. Once salvation hits you, then your purpose is to glorify God. Now, I'm done. That's plenty. I want to tell you I love you. I did already mention about David Briggs, didn't I? I did that the first. Nice going, Johnny. I forgot the first service, darn it. We'll celebrate him maybe next week or the following. I'll let people that do stuff like that do that. Uh, if I've not told you yet that I love you, shame on me. I love you with all my heart, all of you. Thank you for being here. Those of you that are visiting, who's, who's that with you, Maurice? Is, is that? Oh, I thought maybe your dad. I was going to say, or your grandpa. I couldn't wait to meet your father. I got excited. <laughs> All right, let's pray. I'm going to get out of here before I get in more trouble. <laughs> Father, thank you for so much. But most of all, thank you for your son. Thank you for the line of Jacob and, and that you allowed your son to come through that generation, that, that descendant of people. And Father, thank you that at the very perfect time, just at your timing, you allowed your son to be born so that he could prove and show to all of us that He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that through faith in Him, trust in Him, You would give each of us everlasting, eternal life. Father, thank You for that. Now, let us go from here and enjoy this beautiful, beautiful day. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.